Welcome to the Family Biz Show. According to Family Enterprise USA, family businesses in the U.S. account for over 64% of GDP and employ 62% of the workforce. In other words, they are the backbone of our economy. But success doesn't come easy. Only 13% are operating in the third generation. The Family Biz Show is here to help. Listen in weekly to hear stories from other family businesses and industry thought leaders so that you and your family not only survive, but thrive. Welcome, everybody, to the Family Biz Show. I am your host, Michael Columbus from Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And today we are going to be talking about how philanthropy can be a tool for business owning families. And we are joined by some of the brightest and best minds when we talk about family philanthropy. Actually, I just know that we've been talking about family philanthropy and philanthropy you know, since I've ever met all three of you. So I'm, I'm really excited. We got Scott Farnsworth, Yale Levy and Ryan Ponsford with us today. And what I want to do, you know, first of all, welcome gentlemen. Um, what I want to do is we have a, a little bit of a tradition. Everybody knows the tradition now on the family biz show. It's just kind of walk us through your journey and how did philanthropy and family philanthropy become a thing um, in your you know, in, in your psyche. So Scott, why don't you kick us off if you don't mind? Sure. I know, I know you can talk for four hours, but we're going to do the, the, the four minute version or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm a will and trust attorney, um, also a financial advisor. I came to Orlando in 1998 to uh, tinker with some ideas about how to improve family dynamics in the planning process. You know, as an attorney, they teach you all the technical stuff, but they don't teach you how to deal with real people. <laughs> that resulted in creating a, a kind of a network of advisors called Sunbridge. Uh, Yale and Ryan were part of that organization. And as I became, became kind of a national speaker, advisors around the country would invite me to come work with their high net worth clients uh, to help them figure out not only the tax savings, but how to how to preserve the family as we move through generations. And so I found that to get everybody talking, uh, it was important to have all the generations at the table, but sometimes there are subjects that are difficult to talk about. And philanthropy became the go-to tool for helping families start to learn to work together. And I think it was in that mode that Ryan came to me with a brilliant idea about how we could use philanthropy, not only to work with wealthy families, but to work with normal kids in schools, middle schools. And uh, so he and I had a collaborative effort putting together something called Main Street Philanthropy. I'll let him pick up the ball here. Perfect, Ryan. Right on, thanks Scott. Well, so it's always interesting to hear people's journeys and how we all collide. I got a whole funny app for that one day we can share. But um, so similar to Scott, I was actually in private banking and I was a young guy and sat across from people that 20, 50, $100 million. And I wanted to know how they got there. Because for me, it'd be interesting to be on that side of the table, right? And I found that they all did it in one of three ways. They had built, owned, and monetized businesses. So they had a family-owned enterprise. A lot of them, especially in California, had done it with real estate. Or they had inherited the money. And 
I sat on the trust review committee. So where Scott drafted trust documents, I had to read them, understand them, see what the heck people like him were trying to say and how to administer it. And what I recognized was that that transition of wealth was often devastating. People would transfer money to the kids. And most often I saw the kids would not just blow the money, which we all know, but they would also end up hating each other in the end. And I came from a very connected family. We weren't a financially wealthy family, but we were a relationship wealthy family. And it broke my heart. And to see these families falling apart. And so that's really what I set out to solve initially is how do we create family connection over multiple generations? And similar to Scott, I realized we can look at the characteristics of those that are successful and those that fail. One of the biggest ones, you know, people think it's estate planning and taxes. It's, it's almost never that. One of the biggest ones is creating trust and communication in the family and having effective financial literacy and understanding for the kids. And so as I had gotten to know Scott in my journey, um, I realized he was one, he was a master of story, which is a universal connection for families. And at the time he was testing this thing that I think he called the, the, the philanthropy slush fund. And the idea was put a few bucks in the table and let a family give it away. And that was kind of in the back of my head, Revan, when I realized, you know what, people don't, I can't get everybody in the room for multiple generations to sit and write a mission, vision, purpose statement. Kids don't want to learn financial literacy. They want to know it, but they don't want to learn it. And trust and communication sounds a lot like therapy and nobody wants to go through therapy. And so that will shoot. What if we could take this game of giving and you're, you're, use it as a tool to teach all of those principles? So I started down that path with families and doing so, I have a friend of mine that was a teacher at a school called McFadder, McFadder Middle School, which is part of San Diego Unified District. And these were kids that was part of the juvenile court system. So kids okay. that have been kicked out or expelled from the traditional system. And he, we met up because he had some life insurance and financial questions and wanted to ask him to me. So, you know, we're doing that and we're just kicking around what we're working on. He had all these kids that had these just significant challenges, almost they had 60 some odd percent were foster kids, not one from both, had both parents. Um, and we thought, wow, we're in different worlds. I'm doing all this work for these super wealthy families. He's got these kids that are struggling and how different it is. And then as we got to talking, I realized, you know what? Those kids share a lot of the same challenges. They don't have core financial understanding to make good financial decisions. They have massive trust and communication gaps, and they have this kind of issue with seeing themselves the future. They don't have a vision, a purpose. And, you know, with, in wealthy families, it's the same th thing. A lot of these kids have identity crisis problems. And so the question became, well, shoot, what if we could raise some money and have those kids give it away? What would that do to put them on the giving side of philanthropy? So it's a, it's a, Long, fascinating roundabout story to how we got there, but ended up raising some money, tested out with those kids, had a mind-blowing outcome that I never thought possible. I called Scott back and said, hey, I just tried this thing. I want to hear your thoughts. And he was strangely quiet, which freaked me out. I'm like, okay, he thinks this is terrible. And a few minutes later, he's like, that's interesting. Um, I'd like to learn more. And so we talked a little bit. He shared it, and we went back and forth for probably a good month. And then he said, something magical back to me, which was, Ryan, this is not only good, this could be amazing. This could become mine and other people's life's work. And that prompted us starting down this path of creating this nonprofit organization called Main Street Philanthropy, which is involved in much more. And he then he said, hey, Ryan, there's a guy you need to meet. He's part of Sunbridge. I don't know if you've met him. His name's Yale Levy. He's very involved in the philanthropic community around the country. And he's a quick start, a guy that gets things right out of the gate. And I think he will love this concept. So Scott introduced me to Yale. Yale and I got to talking. And um, 
I'll turn the ball over to Yale now and let him carry through his version of the story. And, and, and that's the end of the story. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> that's this episode is over. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Good to have you here. Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm in this. Thank you, Michael, for putting this together. And, you know, anytime I can spend time with Ryan and Scott, I am sort of at my best. So I appreciate being included in this. Um, like Ryan, I got my start in the wealth management space. Um, not in private bank, but just in more traditional wealth management. And my journey is, is it connects to this conversation in sort of a real life way in that um, my grandfather started a family business. He passed away young. My father inherited his share of the business. And my dad and his two uncles, my grandfather's brothers, were the ones that um, owned and built up this family business. And this family business was omnipresent in my life for the whole first chunk of my life. And um, they were exceptional at making money. They, they, they were all first generation wealth creators and they didn't like being poor. They wanted to figure out a way to make money. But um, along with their successes, as it relates to financial success, I would say that the environment in the company was completely socially, emotionally, psychologically um, dysfunctional. And people didn't like being there, even though they, they sort of existed because they wanted to you know, get to that financial end. But um, I, I would say that there was a lot of miserable people there. And um, my father also unfortunately passed away very young. And as I was leaving college, I had a decision to make. Was I gonna go into the family business and probably have the same existence in my life as every other relative of mine who worked there, where I could get by, I could punch the clock, I could make money. But, um, you know, did I want that life for myself? Did I want to be unhappy? And I really had a sense that if I followed that path, I would end up that way. Um, as it turns out, later on, I discovered that all of these relatives of mine in the family business were my best teachers ever because they taught me exactly how not to behave. And um, sometimes, you know, the best teachers aren't, aren't guiding you in a positive way. But sure. um, in any event, I had an opportunity to get into the wealth management space right out of college. I actually um, didn't have that background. I was an art major. So I've always sort of been a right brain thinker in a left brain world. Um, but I thought, you know, I didn't want to be a starving artist. I didn't want to go into the family business. If I could learn the language of money, that would be a skill set that I would have my entire life. And I didn't know what path I would wind up, you know, ending up in. But I, I thought, well, this is a good place to start. And um, I had, I was about halfway through my career, and I was always fascinated with the idea of giving and philanthropy and the tools and tactics and strategies that can be incorporated into the wealth management process, which most of my clients and certainly even most advisors out there don't even know is possible. And I thought to myself, you know, um, as an advisor, if I could have a niche in that space, it would allow me to have conversations with my clients and add value in a way where the dynamic of our relationship wouldn't just be about numbers and percentages and rates of return. It would be about impact and legacy and meaning and difference and you know, all the things that when you really stop and think about, um, you know, what even matters to you about money, it's usually 
those things. You know, it's not whether I got seven or eight percent in my portfolio. So um, I decided I was going to specialize in that. And that's when I really didn't throw away the first half of my career. I decided to become a student in my business. And I immersed myself in a world of other advisors that I had discovered um, had the same exact idea as me, but really made me look like a complete and total neophyte by comparison. And I just thought, wow, I, I just really want to get into this crowd of people and you know learn as much as I can. And that's where at some point down the road, I, I was introduced to Scott. Um, I did sort of try on everybody's process and everybody's system. I mean, if there's been a, a company or a process or a system out there, I've bought it. So I've like blown more money on different things than you can imagine. But I will say that um, Scott's probably the best professional teacher I've ever had. Um, what he's what he did in Sunbridge and the and the the tools that he gave me and the way that he helped me think as an advisor was really a game changer for me. And um, I had always been using philanthropy or wanting to use philanthropy, but it started off on you know in terms of the the financial benefit. But then I, but then eventually when I stopped it and thought about the fact that most of my clients were first generation wealth creators. Um, they cared deeply about their family, first of all, that first and foremost, I mean, that was what mattered to them. And they were concerned about the world that their kids are inheriting and their kids are growing up in. And that, you know, just created the perfect foundation for me to begin to have conversations about philanthropy and the benefits that philanthropy have, not just about, you know, giving money away, but all the positive things that can come out of it. And so, um, as, as my two colleagues mentioned, Scott introduced me to Ryan. I had already been in the um, sort of nonprofit. I, I'd been straddling the financial services and the nonprofit space for at least a decade, maybe even longer than that. And when I learned about what Ryan was doing in Main Street philanthropy, I just thought to myself, wow, you know, now I know what the last 15 or 20 years of my life was about. Now I know what the rest of my life is going to be about. And I want in. And good. That's where we are now. So that was seven or eight years ago. Love it. Love it. Thank you. Um, so Scott, I'm going to ask you, you know, <clears throat> come back to you real quick, kind of, you know, set up this philanthropy idea a little bit. Yeah. Kind of, I guess there's some, some universal applications of philanthropy and it's not, you know, Ryan, you talked about utilizing it in a classroom with underprivileged kids. You know, I was I have used it with families that are, you know, um, multi-generation family-owned businesses and looking to figure out how do we, you know, how do we do this with uh, our grandkids who are six and seven and nine years old. And, you know, so we all come at it from a different spot. But I think the three of us, you know, the four of us, three of us, I'm looking at the three screens here, the four of us can, you know, agree that there's some universal kind of rules or applications in terms of what's going on there. Do you mind setting that up for us, Scott? Well, we found that philanthropy creates a safe space to talk about money and all sorts of other issues without bringing all the family business and all the family baggage to the table because we don't have to know what the business is worth or any of that to talk about, here's a, an allocation. And uh, it really started with this idea of a family philanthropy slush fund. Here's some extra money. 
and we're going to figure out together how to give it away. And then the next issue is, where are we passionate? If you don't start with passion, then you're just, you're just going through you know, the steps, and it's going to be, feel like more school for the grandkids. So one of the big breakthroughs that we had was establishing kind of a range. Here are the different types of things where people often give money. And then I have a brilliant, talented daughter, and I gave her that list of 20 things, and she created pictures that illustrate those 20 topics. And we put them onto flashcards, basically. And then we start this family exercise, go through the 20 areas, and tell us where you're passionate. In fact, we force them to get down to six, and then get a partner and explain, here's why I picked these six. And so everybody's hearing everybody's interests and concerns and passions. Then we force them to go down from six to three. And that's where their guts start really talking to them. When you see a family, multiple generations, sharing the things that are in their heart, that they're feeling in their gut, and then you have a chance to take that and work together as a family, that's when the magic starts to happen. That's nice. And Ryan, I mean, the, the same work that Scott's talking about, that same process worked in the classroom, right? It's, it's universal principle. I think that's what's so cool about it is it applies there. You know, we've done now works in corporations and families and, and in the classroom. And one of the key things I think is that we love to share is you think about the concept of philanthropy itself. Right. It's a scary word. It's kind of this Ivy League, super elitist sounding word. And we actually struggled for a long time. Do we want that word anything to do with anything we do? And just the whole idea of having a nonprofit with at risk youth called Main Street Philanthropy is almost oxymoronic. Right. And we struggled with it, but we, we realized there's a real huge importance in redefining the word. And what the origin of that was, we started studying that what does philanthropy mean? And kind of Yale mentioned becoming a student of our craft. We consider ourselves ongoing forever learners in everything we do. We, we thought we coined the phrase philanthropologist a long time ago, but I think somebody's using it already. But uh, I thought that was a cool term. But so when you break down the word philanthropy, it's two Greek words, right? Philos and anthropos. And the problem is people think of philanthropy and they think Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, giant tax deductions, huge checks, and I'll do that someday. There's this destination mindset. I will become a philanthropist when... And what you don't realize is you break that word down, phylos, anthropos. Phylos is a Greek word for love. Anthropos is a Greek word for humankind. Here, think of anthropology. So the simplest form of this is phylos, anthropos, love of humankind. Well, there's no money attached to that. There's no barrier attached to that. We are all equally capable of love and care for each other. And that became kind of the core premise to make sure people understood because it removes a lot of barrier. And the second thing we learned as you go through it, we think about philanthropy as something nice for other people, right? It's nice for other people and, and they benefit from this in some fashion. Well, anybody that's gone on a mission trip, a volunteer trip, helped somebody out in a meaningful way, a little different than, you know, somebody asked you for a donation, you wrote a check and they left, right? That's nice. But when you do some meaningful giving, and as Scott mentioned, you engage emotion, passion and make this, you know, a right brain exercise, it changes everything. And that's where we revealed that philanthropy is really more about changing the hearts and minds of those who give, even more so than the recipient. 
And one thing you realize going through that the, the process we ended up creating that's, again, applied in schools, applied in families, applied in corporations is very intentional. And about halfway through it, most people start having this aha moment with, wait a second, this isn't really about me helping you know, homeless kids or foster youth or veterans or what. This is actually changing me, right? This is about us. This is about our family and what we're getting from this. And you kind of have this enlightening moment. And part of the reason one of our companies is called Gateway for Good is we used to joke, and we're not sure if we should market this or not, but that giving is the gateway drug to a happiness, right? It is this gate, you get a dose and it's like, you want more, like, give me more of that. So once you give, like you get this strange addiction and want more. And so the, the beauty of it to your question is it's universal principles. Um, you can't dispute it. And it, it works in so many environments. It's one of our challenges. Um, you know, we can apply this. We've written, you know, biblical programs for church. We've got corporate things. We've got family things. Like, where do we, it's almost, it's this giant thing to where we've gotten to the point now and that we think this is the thing to save the world, right? We actually think giving is the answer, the solution to all the nonsense happening in our world today. And if we can provide people with more giving experiences, it gives them that taste of what it means to care, what it means to love for other people in a very unique way. A hundred percent. You know, it, it's funny as you're saying that one of the things that there's a, a, a mental piece, an emotional piece that when you give it, it it's this, this, uh, it applies this feeling that says, if, if I can give this away, if I can do this, there must be more. And so it's that, that, that abundant mindset, it starts to train that world of abundance. And if we all, every one of us lived in a world of abundance, it, we're not worrying about land and oil and all the things that are going on in this crazy world right this second. And, you know, who's telling me what to do and, you know, yada, yada, well, don't get me started. But I, I, I like, I like giving doing good as the gate, you know, as, as the gateway drug for those mm -hmm. kinds of things. I would call it, you know, the gateway for, um, come on. I just said, I just talked about, um, uh, that abundance thinking, yeah, that, generosity, that growth, can, that growth mindset, yeah. you know, that's yep. awesome. Yeah. I, I want to ask you, you know, so we've got these universal principles that just seem to be working you've been doing this long enough and I think you've done it in, a, in the classroom setting and you've done it in some other places. Can you walk us through and talk about what are some of the things, what are some of the changes, what are some of the benefits that you see, maybe even side benefits, you know, as you're going through and working through a philanthropic project, you know, with a, with a group? That's a great question. So, <clears throat> um, well, for me, I would say that the, the key outcome that we're always hoping to achieve, um, and this I would identify this to, to what Ryan was talking about, about how it changes the hearts and minds of those who give. Um, so I define transformational philanthropy as the individual who's going through the process, reflecting on themselves after having gone through the process and so it's a very introspective, self-reflective type of um, review of oneself, if you will. But I feel, I have a visceral feeling, I feel more deeply connected to myself, to the world, to those I'm helping, where I feel good. I feel like I'm a better version of who I used to be as measured by myself. It's not like, you know, I'm getting a grade for this per se, right? 
And I could tell you that as a father, the thing that's most important for me is I want my kids to have great self-esteem, to have great confidence, to have self-reliance, to have you know, the ability to play nice in the sandbox with other people, um, you know, all kinds of what I would define as critical life skills, right? Um, to have those that are close to me be the best version of who they are. So um, what I've noticed as, as a teacher and as a mentor of philanthropy, uh, mostly in the classrooms, but having taken now, I don't know, 25 different classes through, um, you know, through our process, is that in almost every instance, there is a large majority of those who go through a philanthropic process that see themselves as better afterwards than whoever or however they saw themselves beforehand. And I think that that's the secret sauce. Yeah. So between that and, and the feeling, the visceral feeling that I have, that's almost like, a, a, you know, it's, it's like a narcotic, it's like a shot, you know, to my system where I feel high on life because what I'm doing has me high on life, right? Um, and so we're looking to replicate that feeling wherever we can. That's sort of the outcome. We wanna have people experience the feeling and we wanna have them reflect on themselves as being that better person than whoever they saw themselves as before. And I think that in, you know, it's, we get to see that often in a classroom environment because kids have to go to school there, you know, we get integrated into the classes or we're running as a, as a free elective or however it is that we get integrated into a school, but you know, the kids are at school, right? Right. Um, so one of the things that we're looking to do with the company Gateway for Good is mm -hmm. to bring that same visceral experience, to bring that same kind of, um, self-reflective, you know, and, and, and ultimately, you know, I guess to, um, you know, to, um, to see that applied in as many forms as possible. Uh, it, it's the thing about giving and Ryan touched on this earlier, I believe is, is that it's really age agnostic. It's, um, you know, it's race agnostic, it's geography agnostic, you could, you could have the same powerful outcome with an eight year old that you might have with an 88 year old. Um, and that's why it applies in so many different settings as well. So I think I might have strayed a little bit away. From <clears throat> All right, we'll, we'll, we'll bring it back. So let's, so now, you know, th this is the Family Biz Show. So I'm, you know, I've got the three of you here and you've got this wonderful, you're talking to them right now, this family business. I'm in the third generation and the third generation's just getting ready to take over the business they're having kids. The kids are, you know, all, all the grandkids right now are over under the age of 12, we'll say, for the most part. And you've got the, the second generation is getting ready to leave and turn over the reins to these 30, you know, 25 to 35, 40 year olds to take over the business. What's the project look like? And what, how, does, how do you see this thing, you know, coming to fruition and, and coming together to make these things happen for a family like this. And I'm gonna go back this way and go, Ryan, then, then I'm gonna come back to you, Scott. So you can hand mm -hmm. it off to, to Scott after this, Ryan. Yeah, so, you know, I'll say one of the key things in that family business environment, and you know this from working with a lot of them, this has been at least my experience, is it's important to create the distinction between the family and the business. 
There's a ton of overlap, needless to say, there always will be. One of the things we always challenge business owners to do is at some point, you almost have to prioritize the two. You get down to second and third generations. This business has been the goose in many ways for this family, but there will be a decision where you have to put one in front of the other, right? At some point, you have to decide, am I making this decision on behalf of the business or on behalf of the family? So, you know, there is some unique kind of thinking that has to happen in that process because it's a, that is a delicate environment for people and a right place for conflict. So one of the beauties of this program, this project, this experience is it is designed to create connection and around long-term vision and purpose. So in many ways, this could be an exercise prioritized in a family or does it become an exercise prioritized in a business or is it a joint of both of them? Now, we the, the process would actually be very similar between the two. The outcome that we measure is often different. Right. So in a family, you're really focused on connection and trust. And, you know, are we staying connected down the road as a family? If you, if you study families or in same in businesses, why they stay together. Right. If we have a and this is any relationship, if we have a shared vision of the future where you're in my future and we have a conflict today, we're probably going to be motivated to solve it. If we think we're never going to see each other again, we probably don't care. Right. If you cut me off on the freeway or I cut you off on the freeway, you're never going to see me again. You're probably not worried about fixing that relationship. Probably quite the opposite. Right. In businesses, there's some similarities in that this same process can be used to create alignment of vision, connection. So we would call that almost a corporate culture of generosity, employee engagement around your people are now rallied around a cause bigger than themselves, bigger than bottom line. We have a, a bigger social vision beyond even what we do as a business. And plus you have the opportunity to get involved in the community. And there's tons of data and studies out there just for the benefits of the company of you know corporate culture, employee engagement, community involvement has great impact on bottom line revenue. And by the way, when you tie that in with a family business, you're creating a familial culture where it starts bringing in some of those collective just connections around the family, around the business and what we stand for. So in that environment, you know, my thought would be for most people, family tends to be the core thing at the, at the center. Um, I think you'd want to get the family involved in something around this and then pull in the business. And it doesn't have to be an identical mission, vision or causes or anything of that. They're, they could be, they're probably going to be a little different, but you start creating this. It does create a universal culture of generosity and connection, which then I think pulls them together tightly and more cohesively. Yeah. And you know, what's really nice about that is you may have some family members that are working in the business yep. and family members that are not working in the business. So there's that place where we can bring everybody together and it's, you know, everybody's on equal footing at that got level. It. You got it. Yep. Scott, <laughs> why don't you add to that? And maybe, you know, I, I guess one of the things that I'm thinking about is, you know, inside of that family, what are, you know, the, what are you teaching? What are, what's, what is, you know, grandma, grandma and grandpa, and they're, you know, are now, you know, have grandkids, you know, what is this philanthropy project that we're working on? What are we hoping that those little kids, you know, and I, I say little, they could be teenagers, you know, right. But hit on some of that. And then anything else that you want to add to that, if you don't mind. Well, to launch off of something that, that uh, Ryan mentioned, any organization, whether it's a family, a business, a church, a club, or whatever, has to have two things or they don't have a future. Number one, they have to have shared stories that they 
understand about us as a group. And that, that's, but that's about the past, but we need to understand that. But then we have to have that future vision. This is where we see ourselves somewhere down the road. When we have a family, and I like, I like that you mentioned, in every business, there are family members probably in the business and family members not in the business. And if you don't find a way for those people to get together and share stories and share vision, then it's going to peel itself apart in very short order. My experience has been that the key for this approach is probably family business owners who love their grandchildren. I've seen a marked difference in applying this process in a wealthy family setting where the grandparents loved or believe it or not, did not love their grandchildren. In one case, we did philanthropy exercises and everybody was excited about it. But I have to say that grandmother was a rather, I'm gonna use a harsh word, a rather selfish person. She had a family foundation, but she could not stomach the idea that her, some of that foundation would send money to some of these little penny ante charities that her grandchildren found to be exciting like pet rescue or you know whatever that is. And so the whole thing fell apart. It didn't work. On the other hand, I've seen families that were pulled in every direction. It was a yours, mine, and ours family. And there was a lot of family tension when we came in. We got them to the table around philanthropy. We brought the, when we brought the grandchildren in for the philanthropy part, we did the exercise with the mad cards and we discovered that the family had shared passions. And the grandparents were more than happy to put up a significant chunk of money that the grandchildren could spend any way they wanted as long as we worked on that together. That's the contrast. There's got to be a shared vision. Emma, in the first case, didn't see the vision that she could change her grandchildren by the way they exercise their family philanthropic dollars. And in the other case, the grandparents really got it. We want to teach... Some of our kids are in the business, most of them are not. How do we get everybody at the table talking about the same things? So my experience has been that you need a structure around which to teach these tools to family members of every generation, but it has to be free flowing and it has to be going back again to the passion. Where does your family, where does your organization feel that there is a shared vision of how we wanna affect the world? That's, that's been what I've learned. I love it. Um, you know, one of the other things that I think this starts to, to do, and Yale, you know, why don't you hit on this a little bit when talking about kind of, you know, we're giving money away, we're dealing with money, we're kids. We, we, this isn't an inheritance or this isn't, you know, this isn't our money. This is somebody else's. So how, how can this help me or help my kids or grandkids when we're talking about, you know, wealthy families down the road, what is the, you know, this, this experience like? So I guess the best way I can answer that is maybe I'll just share what I did with my kids because I didn't use a lot of money, but it wasn't about the money. Um, I, I, you know, again, going back to sort of understanding that some of the philanthropic tools out there, um, I, I knew I could create a family controlled charitable entity um, where I could, I could have a fund that the kids and the, and the nieces and nephews could give from. Um, so 
I took an appreciated stock that I owned for this much, but it had grown to that much. And, you know, I put a relatively small amount of money into the thing. Um, and um, that was the family fund. I got a nice tax deduction. That was nice. Um, and But really, that's not why I did it. I did this because I viewed this as an investment into my family. So at the time, my kids were a little bit too young. So this was really just with my niece and nephew at the time. But um, I told them about this family fund. I didn't tell them how much they were going to be able to give away. But for them, at the time, they were one was about 10 or 11. The other was, I think, eight or nine at the time. And I said, you guys are going to be able to give away a couple of hundred dollars, which for them, you know, in their minds, that was a huge amount of money. So um, I talked to them about passion first. That's where we started, just like Scott had, had uh, illustrated. And, um, you know, and I said to my nephew, um, you know, I'm not really that smart. So I need you guys to go out and research on the internet because I know you're so good with the computers. You go research and, and find the causes, find organizations that match up with uh, you know, the things that you care about. And we talked a little bit about how they could do that. And they came back to me with five or six different organizations. And then we had a dialogue about, well, what, what would you want to know? What would you want to understand before you felt that one of these organizations ought to get some of the money that you're going to be giving to them? Remember, you're in charge here, right? And so we talked about that a bit. Uh, and, and I said, you know, remember, I'm not as smart as you guys. So I need you to write this up in a little business plan. So, so give me sort of an outline of what it is that you want to advocate for, and then you're going to present that to your dad and I when we get together over Thanksgiving. So that was our way of sort of getting an eight-year-old to, to begin to create the, base, the basics or the foundation of a business plan. Um, and then when we got together over Thanksgiving, both niece and nephew needed to discuss with us at the table why this versus that so that was sort of the beginning of public speaking experience um, you know, and then then from there i said you know even beyond the money one of the really powerful things that you could really tap into is your story you know so if you can kind of craft why you're so passionate about this i bet you we could use that story and you can send that over to that organization and they might benefit from hearing your story because you're so convincing right and so so now they've got some some stories from an eight year old or a 10 year old. Um, at some point down the road, I wound up getting interviewed by a financial services magazine and I shared this story with um, with the person writing the article and, and it made it into the magazine. So I sent the magazine down to my niece and nephew and they carried these magazines around in their pockets to show their friends how they were famous forgiving and it just kept reinforcing so anyway I'm, I'm 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 where i'm going with this is um they got some research experience they got critical some thinking right they did some critical thinking that they had to put this put to work the whole point was this was an investment on my behalf into my family i wanted to begin to to seed in them what are some of the life skills that will be important for them to have? They're going to need to advocate for a cause at some point down, down the road. They're going to need to be able to research. They're going to need to be able to formulate their opinions. They're going to need to, you know, um, to communicate with adults, with people that maybe they're not necessarily comfortable communicating with all the time. And that's a big challenge for kids nowadays. 
So, you know, this was just sort of the backdoor way of getting into that conversation. It wasn't about the money. Although, again, getting back to the thing I said a little while ago, for them, a couple of hundred dollars was, was an enormous sum of money at the time. But, you know, even when we're, when we're teaching um, our classes in schools, the kids care about how much money they're giving away and they want it to be a significant amount. But really the real value isn't, isn't the, the dollars that they're giving away at the end of the day. It's the process that they go through. And I think that's the key. Awesome. And, and I mean, you hit on all the things they, 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 you know, they have critical thinking needs. They have to get creative. They have to publicly speak. And these are all the skills. And this is why, you know, I think that, you know, in my opinion, and I've, I've you know, I know I'm preaching to the choir a little bit, but I, I did say, I think that, you know, that family where I'm getting ready to retire, I need something to retire to. I need to be doing something, you know, and, and you, what better thing could, you know, the, the grandparents and aunts and uncles that are old, you know, the great aunts and uncles that are retiring from the business, what better thing could they do than, you know, you're not doing it every single day. This isn't a full-time job, but to kind of, like you said, Yale, you, you guided, these conversations and these things, and you help have them create an application. I will share with you one of the families that I shared this basic idea with. She said, here's the application. She came up with what she wanted them to answer the questions on said, but you have to use crayon. So that was for grandma, you know, she wanted to be able to keep that thing so that, you know, 10 years from now, you know, as they, they progress through the, the, this process, that, that it's interesting. Um, I, I'm just, you know, grandparents and grandchildren, I think is that perfect fit. Yale, that was the other piece that you said. It was your niece and nephew that it started with. I'm not sure if your kids were the same age, it would have had the same effect. I do think there's something about that outside influence and going into a classroom, Ryan and Scott, you know, you're that outside influence with the families that you've been working with, there might be that facilitation piece that's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. I think you're right. Uh, if it had been my kids, my kids at the time were much younger, so they were a little bit too young. I mean, I think my son was four maybe at the time, but um, but if they were older, I, I imagine that it might not have gone exactly the same way. And like Scott was saying a little while ago, there's there's magic with grandparents who love their grandkids. You know, yeah. there's something special about that. Maybe. I mean, maybe that's the market for this, you know, yeah. conversation is, 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 you know, people get grandparents who really love their grandkids and, it's, you know, and to your point, you know, if they're looking for the next, what's the next chapter in my life going to look like? Well, you know, why not fill it up with joy, you know, helping, to, yeah. you know, helping to, to your grandkids to, to feel better about themselves and be better human beings. Yeah. And if they're watch, if it's, you know, if a family business, sometimes that family business, there isn't a next generation, but there's that wants to be part of the business. So they're selling the business. And now to your point, Yale, you could utilize some of that work to say, you know, there might be some tax savings along the way as we're doing this stuff too. There's nothing wrong with good things happening when you have good intentions, I'm, uh, you know, but to do it out of bad intentions, probably not. Scott, I, I want to come to you for a second, and because one of the things you and I talked about when we got together was the dangers and pitfalls of philanthropy. Mm -hmm. And and one of them I think you kind of hit on is that if, you know, 
if you're not thinking, think if you can only have your blinders on and think about yourself, if you're selfish, this isn't going to work. But right. I think there's some other dangers and pitfalls that I think we need to be talking about and let people know about. Is that something you want to hit on? Well, I'll go back to what uh, Brian said early. If you don't love people, if you don't have that true philanthropy spirit, uh, and, and you're just in it for tax savings or some other less than honorable motive, I think you will you'll poison the well for everybody. Your nature will show up. I think the other thing is there, there is an advantage of having an outsider facilitate this process. I think sometimes children tend to blow off what their parents say, um, not so much grandparents. But yeah, we've been into situations where the parents have tried to do something like this and maybe not philanthropic, but they tried to create the family council or whatever. And it just didn't flow because everybody's so jaded. But there is something, again, marvelous about putting dollars on the table that are not for us. When you think outside yourself, then all of a sudden it changes everything. Now, I, I would like to sort of add on to what you asked. Uh, this is a very simple process, but you need to have a process. We once had five days, three of my children were at home and one of my son-in-laws and we invited the family uh, that had been curious about Main Street philanthropy. And we created actually a family version of this activity, not a schoolroom version, but a little family and it comes in a little treasure box and it has seven steps instead of 10. But basically we do the, what are we interested in? So that's what we did the first night. And we identified three teams and they went out and did the research like Yale described. We came back two nights later and the three teams gave their report. But there's also a little piece in there. How would you contribute your own money? What would be a fundraising idea? This was the coolest thing about it. The, the other family had a 13 year old boy. And actually I said, I'm gonna put $100 in the pot for us to give away. When, we, when the other family left, my, my wife said, I think you made a mistake. That family doesn't have any money to give. So they're, you're gonna make them feel bad. Well, they went home and they figured out they could go through their cushions and their couches and raise money. And then the little boy says, I could go ask all the neighbors. He created a little flyer, dropped it off at a couple of dozen neighbors' houses. Then they came to the meeting. When they, got, when they came home from the meeting, they said, you know what? There are Ziploc bags full of money on our porch. He raised $70 from people digging in their cushions. But he also found an organization that took care of homeless families. In the homeless world, there are places for men, places for women and children, but nothing for families. He found one of those. We sent our second son there to do a, a site visit. When he came out of the visit, he called me, he was crying. He said, Dad, this is such a sweet organization. They have three people, yet they take care of a dozen families through the help of 20 churches. He said, I want to put some of my own money in. Well, that on the next two days later, we went over to that place and we donated. We had raised 250 among ourselves. The coins on the porch, my money, my son's money, my daughter put some in. And then her husband had a matching program with, his, with the place where he worked. 
So we were able to make a $500 gift, not big money whatsoever. But did that ever touch everyone's heart? Everybody, when we went to the place to hand them over the money, we were crying, they were crying. It was just a life-changing adventure. And I can tell you, if you just have a little path to follow, so that's one of the dangers. You strike out, but you don't have a path. I think that's the joy that Ryan and I have figured out. Here is a path that will always work, and it will teach your children and grandchildren all the life skills they need to know. But more important than that, it will change the way we feel about ourselves and about the world. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, it's uh, super powerful. I hope people that are listening, I hope you're getting that, you know, this is such a powerful powerful topic. And, and, and Ryan, I want to say it one more. I want to want you to say it one more time. Philos Anthropus, right? Close. It, yeah. <laughs> one more, you, you help me out. It's Philos. Philos. And Anthropos. Philos Anthropos. Anthropos. And, I could tell you the origin of it, but everybody gets mad at me when I tell that story because it's long and gruesome. The yeah, first but time it, it was used, right? It's But it's great. But when you, when you're, when you're looking at it, it's again, it's the love of human beings. And at the end of the day, you know, you know, Scott, you know, you had said it, if you don't love your grandchildren, if you don't have love of people, all who, you know, very few of us don't love our family. We just want to be able to take, and we want, we want our kids to be critical thinkers and leaders, and we want them to be you know, gracious. Wow. There's another, you know, another side of uh, effect of this is as we build gratitude for what we have to be able to give, you know, we came from the lucky gene pool that we're part of this family business and we've done pretty well and we've had some pretty unique experiences, but man, it's really good to be connected and grounded on some of these other areas and, and feel that gratitude. Ah, oh, I'm just... Go ahead. I was just, just going to say, Michael, just just one last point is that I, I get the sense that, you know, it's business owners that might be watching this podcast one day. And most of probably most of the people that will be listening to this have probably been super successful at building their businesses um, in whatever shape and size and form that's taken. But, you know, the recognition that it's a completely different skill set. You know, it takes a completely different skill set to build your business, grow your business, create a successful business than it does to go to this place. So the fact that um, I can engage in this other activity that can, you know, introduce all these other positive attributes to skill sets, attributes, however you want to define it to myself and to my family and the world, you know, what a, what a great opportunity. Agreed. 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 I'm going to go around and just, you know, if you had kind of a parting, you know, what uh, parting is not the right thing, but maybe tips to get started or just ideas. Or if, you know, if, if people want to reach out to you too, make sure that they, you know, that they can do that. Um, what are your recommendations? If you're sitting here talking to a family, I know you've poured your hearts out and gave us everything already, but you know, what else would you want to say that we haven't talked about? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was just, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the, the best way to get started is to just, you know, decide to start now, you know, it's, it's, 
as Ryan said, philanthropy is not about a destination. It's about the journey. And, you know, if you just decide that I'm going to take the first step, then um, how you do that can certainly be made easier if you have if you have a process like Scott pointed out. So to that end, I would say they should reach out to you. They could reach out to any three of us or if you had your own advisor, you know, who you think can have these conversations with you, but have a conversation with somebody to help steward you down that continuum to keep the conversation going. Because Great. stuff happens when you have a conversation, conversations lead to action, action leads to results. One thing for certain is if you just sit here and think about it, nothing's going to happen. Thank you. Scott. If I were a father or grandfather and was a successful business owner, but maybe had not uh, put as much into my family as I wished I had, I would sit down and make a list of what are the skills that my grandchildren will need to survive and thrive in this world. And I bet you, if you brought that list to me or one of us, we can show you how everything, I, and I say that everything on that list could be built into your children by having a great philanthropic adventure. And the connection it would create between you and them would just tear at your heart in the most wonderful way. I promise that. Make your list, compare it to what you can get out of doing philanthropy. Love it. Ryan, take us home. I would say, Scott, that's some of the best advice I've heard. That's brilliant. That's why Scott is our sage. Um, <laughs> so I'll say this from a family perspective, then maybe a global perspective. Um, in your family, you know, people, we throw around this word legacy, which a lot of people think is, you know, what we leave to our kids or our family. And I would challenge you to think, you know, legacy is not what you leave to them. It's what you leave in them. And where this becomes an amazing opportunity is to not give something to them. It's to give something and leave something in them that will change who they are. And Yale alluded to that earlier. We just kind of, we've been talking about, and as a grandparent, I'm not one yet. Um, you know, and every day, you know, you see a lot of bad stuff in the world. My whole thing is I just want to, I want to get there. Right. Cause uh, what an amazing experience and what an opportunity to leave something in them than this. I'll, I'll say from a global perspective, um, one of our missions as a team, we are, I believe in a kind of funky place in the world today. There's a lot of division. Um, there's not enough listening. We're at a kind of a lack of empathy. You know, you alluded to it, even Michael talking about the, the me first, what's in it for me environment we're kind of living in. And to me, this is the solution. Um, we recently, you know, redid everything we have. Our, you know, easy way to reach us, as you mentioned, you know, Gateway for Good is kind of the core umbrella that we all operate under. That's easy to find. We're all on LinkedIn. You know, we're, we're searchable. If you look up our names anyways, we're not hard to find. Um, we just, our mission is reuniting a divided world. And the way we've learned to do that is through providing giving experiences. And we've been listening now for a while about what that looks like, how we've done it, the impact it can have on families and businesses and organizations and communities, and I think the world at large. And I would encourage people to just wrap your head around that, wrap your head around what's possible, wrap your head around what it can mean to you, to your family, to your kids, to your grandkids, to your community, and take a step, you know, take a step, make your list. 
right? Perfect. Make your list and we'd love to be part of that, showing you how that list can become real. And yeah. Ken, thank you enough for having us. This is this has been a delightful session. We three of us That's don't get fun. to do stuff together often enough. This yeah. is fantastic. So yeah, appreciate it you was tremendously. Super to have the three of you here uh, with me. And this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. And I've always danced around it and put the pieces together. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, what we're just saying is just give it a try. You know what I mean? You don't know whether you're going to like it or the effects or whatnot until you give it a try. And, and it's going to be different for every family. It's going to, you know, there, there will be some pitfalls and, and things that happen as, as you're doing these things, but go out and make a mess and have fun doing, you know, good for human beings out there. So thank you for joining thank us, you, gentlemen. Thank you. you have been listening to the Family Biz Show. I'm Michael Columbus from Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And don't forget, hit that subscribe button because this episode was fantastic. There's other fantastic ones out there and you don't coming up next and you do not want to miss them. So thanks, everybody. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening to The Family Biz Show. We appreciate your time and trust to deliver the best guests and most cutting-edge information to help you maximize your family business. Being part of a family is tough. Add a business to that, and it gets even tougher. Tune in next week as we strive to ease your journey with The Family Biz Show. The content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy LLC is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.